Welcome to ComTrack, where you'll never have to watch a movie alone again. I'm your host, Tim Lifeite, and I'm here with my new co-host, Sean. Say hi, Sean. How you doing, folks? So why don't you introduce yourself real quick, just before we get started on our spectacular movie that we're about to, uh, to, to listen to. Uh, I'm Sean Wheeler. I have uh, written uh, movie reviews and done some podcasts covering film before uh, for a website I have written for that is rather inactive at the moment called Never Ending Radical Dude and just uh, love cinema and happy to uh, jump on here. Oh, it's great to have you on a board, sir, because we're about to embark on a very, very special adventure, to say the least, with this one. Raiders of the Lost Ark. And for those of you listening at uh, at home, folks, if you want to just, you know, jump past our bullshit and go straight to the movie, there is a sync button down below where you can immediately start the movie. But that said, uh, I want to hear where your origins to this movie was, because mine are rather turbulent, but I want to hear where you are, because you're... You've got some years on me, I believe you've said before. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, A bit. Uh, You know, there's not a whole lot to say. This is one of the many films that I grew up watching. Um, You know, I... My memories of it are so early in my life that I am positive I saw this, you know, probably by five or seven. And it's been, you know, part of my life ever since. Uh, So... Yeah, uh, they're movies that I've I grew up with and have always loved and will always have a special place in my heart. Mm-hmm. Now, the weird thing is, even though I was religiously raised on Star Wars, um, because my, my folks were big movie fans, like even my dad... Uh, uh, he was kind of ahead of the game in the uh, the, 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 the the quote-unquote illegal movie downloading back in the day. He actually had these drawers full of recorded television shows and movies from HBO uh, that he would have, like, two or three movies on each individual tape. Uh, a couple of them were Star Wars, and there was even a whole drawer, and you can totally tell... Uh, what kind of character my dad was back in the day. One drawer was specifically set as Star Trek episodes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, like, my, my folks really put me into that. But shockingly, Indiana Jones, I was not, act, I wasn't properly introduced until I was 17 years old. Wow. I was late in the game. That was uh, almost... I I was almost uh, right out like almost ready to finish uh, high school and into college, um, but I'd seen traces of it as a kid. Like I'd seen you know parodies and you know there was like a Lego set back in the day that was clearly a riff on uh, Indiana Jones, and I was like, oh, this is really cool and really fun and pulpy and actiony. And I didn't realize that it was based like ripped off this this classic spielberg movie so i didn't see it for the longest time and when i did i yeah i had all the thrills that expected it but there was one scene and we'll get to that in a bit that surprised me and just how fun this movie truly was i really wish no one had spoiled or parodied anything that i'd already seen like i'm like oh so this is where all the things that I'd seen, all that imagery came from, and now I can appreciate it. But I didn't really get to, you know, actually just sit down and experience it for the first time, you know, which 
is I, I guess is I guess I can blame on my parents. I guess <laughs> I don't really care. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, ever since then, like now I've got pretty much an entire Indiana Jones costume in my closet. I'm wearing the hat right now, and there's a great story behind this hat, which I'll share real quick. Uh, it was at the uh, there was this thing called Black Swamp Fest in my college town. Uh, big carnival like street and fair thing lots of vendors and whatnot you've been there oh, for yeah. sure I'm, yeah uh and uh there was a hat shop around the corner and i was just kind of looking there like oh a hat shop and blah 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 thought i'd look around for like a really cool film noir kind of thing because that's what i was really studying when i was in film school back in the day and i saw this fedora and i'm like oh this is a really nice kind of old-timey film noir hat and i look inside and it's got the indiana jones logo inside <laughs> and i'm like i really shouldn't splurge like 50 60 bucks but i'm gonna <laughs> slapped it on the counter walked home with it on my head and it was so amazing and that kind of led to the rest of the costume and uh and all the little prop pieces like i have the idol from the beginning of the movie so yeah indiana jones now has a really special place in my heart and uh and i saw all of them you know when i was uh from 17 onward like i didn't i I did not grow up with these movies which is such a strange thing for a film geek like me to say but nonetheless these are still like some of the best action sequences and the best action and entertainment uh, you'll ever see be made i think so that's that's just my little spiel <laughs> on it um but uh did you now uh you didn't have you ever seen this in a theater though uh i have not uh there has not been a screening that i could attend interestingly uh i was actually getting ready to uh one had been announced uh coming up bef- shortly before the pandemic hit no. So I was actually looking forward to it like this year. Uh, this Actually, this one in particular was going to be being shown around here. And then the pandemic hit and everything's been canceled. <sighs> this sucks. Because we kind of need this kind of, you know, escape, pure escapist entertainment right now of all times, really. Because um, it's so awful out there. And I figured, you know, we just need to, you know when things become too much, cause yes, a lot of this stuff needs to be addressed and put forward and we need to plant our feet for a better world. But after, at the end of a, a really hard day, sometimes we just really need to decompress and unwind with something truly escapist to another, another world where we can have fun and smile again, you know? Uh, and I think this is, I think that's partially the reason why I'm doing these right now. Um, but uh, yeah, that said, should we uh, should we start the movie? Yeah, why not? Alrighty, so uh, folks back there at home, if you've got a DVD, Blu-ray, VHS, streaming, whatever, get ready because we are going to start the movie in three, two, one, click, and here it comes. There's the Paramount logo, and of course, the, what we all love about the opening shot of this movie is that Spielberg went out to find the exact right mountain <laughs> to transition from the Paramount logo to to the, the location, and it works so beautifully. 
Now we got the first first silhouette and the title drop. God, can you imagine like being back in 1980, uh, just fresh off of the post-blockbuster world of Jaws and Star Wars and going to a theater for, to a movie with uh, – this is a, one of the things that I love about the, uh, the original uh, poster um, is that it boldly says – from the makers of Star Wars and Jaws. <laughs> like, the two biggest movies you've seen in the last five years are coming together for something new and bold. And it's going to be the most amazing film event of your life. Uh, I mean, the the opening sequence here, I mean, the audio is just outstanding. With, you know, the the wonderful music, but coupled with the jungle sounds. So, yes. and, and that the music doesn't overdo the sounds of the jungle. So you're really getting this, this yeah. sense of, you know, the environment and where they are. It's putting you right in there. Uh, ben Burt, who we all know as the godfather behind all of the star Wars sound effects and really kind of the father of modern sound design. Uh, he's the one who has been credited by Spielberg to create this almost alien uh, rainforest atmosphere. And if you listen closely, I'm pretty sure you can kind of hear a few uh, sound cues from like Dagobah, uh, <laughs> places like that, just to give it that yeah. otherworldly feel. And then we have Alfred Molina. In his very first role, that's Doc Ock from yep. way back in the day. But at the same time, it's like, how much does anyone know about him besides this and Doc Ock? Uh, oh, man, he's done a lot of voice work that uh, people would be so shocked that you're like, oh, that was oh, him? Oh, yeah, but I mean, like, yeah. Th there's, yeah, I mean, plenty of people do voice work, and I mean, I have nothing but the utmost respect for voice actors, but it's more the point that it's just like, when it comes to notable roles on screen it really comes down to you know it's like it's yeah you watch this and then it's pretty much spider-man is what he's most known for in front of the yeah. camera yeah and we have the wonderful bit where he's reading the map and then this setup okay so previously i had seen uh dr no for the first time that was the first bond movie that i really w sat down and watched the intro to james bond was really great but this, that <laughs> is how you introduce your character. Because <laughs> I, I remember Bond, James Bond, but the one that I think that's better, and a better introduction is of this one. Well, I, mean, I just love the, the simple nature of, of those cuts and close-ups right there. You know, it, it covers the narrative so perfectly, but... Uh, and it, it's simplistic, but it just shows how, you know, the simple and the basics work so well if you know how to use them right. You don't all you don't have to go fancy for everything. It also works so beautifully with the material at hand, because I believe it was Roger Ebert when the re-release was coming out. Uh, he said that, you know, they had touched up the uh, the picture and just a little bit of the special effects like they removed just a few minor uh, 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 blemishes here and there and Ebert commented that they probably shouldn't have because it looks better 
when it is a little rushed, when it does look a little bit like, you know, uh, some filmmakers from Boy's Life back in, you know, the, the, the 1950s decided to make an adventure film. <laughs> it, it should have that kind of semi-amateurish quality because that's what gives it the, the that, that charm. Uh, it works for the material instead of being a bug. And speaking of bugs, or... <laughs> <laughs> this is a, just a, such a great moment. Is that you know it's not enough because for, with Spielberg it's not enough to have one, you got to have a lot. Uh -huh. <laughs> oh God. Ah, uh, creepy crawlies, man. Yeah. One element to define this series for a very long time. And of course, uh, another thing that I really love about. Uh, what I was, it was actually kind of unexpected is how, excuse me, how graphic oh, things yeah. are. <laughs> like this shot right here where it's just turning and you can hear the, mm -hmm. oh, delicious. <laughs> it's amazing what could be considered PG back in the day. I know, right? And we'll talk about that when we do the sequel, how it got so bad that Spielberg's like, maybe there should be a, like a middle ground here, because this is kind of scary for kids. <laughs> Man, even, even I know that uh, it's, it's crazy weird to think, but this location, it does look like a film set. Oh, yeah. When you actually take like one or two steps away from it, it does look like a set. Oh yeah, I mean if you just focus on the background instead of on you know the the actors, you're just like oh yeah, of course. But in, again, in a weird way, that works for the material. Like it should kind of look like a set because. That's well, yeah, what it feels this... like because it feels like it. It's it's hey, we're gonna make a a movie out of a '40s radio dramatization. Oh, and and uh, and old film serials of yeah. back in the day. We're just going to have the craft of uh, the the high level of craft today, and especially with amazing professionals like you have the the best of the best Spielberg, Lawrence Kasdan writing it. Uh, which to this day the script is amazing. You have Ben Burt who's doing the sound, John Williams, the maestro <laughs> of film music. Um, all this wonderful talent coming together to make something truly special. And then we all, oh, such a classic moment. The chin rub. <laughs> and I especially, that, that was the one thing that kind of wrote, like, got me excited this for, uh, when I first sat down and actually watched it, was this little little quick insert of Alfred Molina rubbing his fingers and it's coming up in a bit where it just adds a little bit more to the tension and, and to the fun, really. I, uh... Yeah, right here. <laughs> oh, yeah. Whoop. <laughs> but y'all know, like, even if you hadn't seen it, y'all know something bad's gonna happen. <laughs> Oh, hey, just, uh, by the way, uh, can we also call that little dead weight that he used? Pocket sand. Sha-sha-sha. 
<laughs> for those of you King of the Hill fans. Do you ever just, uh... Just, uh... Sorry, uh, like, that, such an iconic <laughs> moment there, but do you ever just think about how much would have been lost to cinema and culture in general had Harrison Ford not been building that deck? Yeah, yeah, it's very true. There, so much. We wouldn't, have, we wouldn't have had an Air Force One. We wouldn't have had this. We wouldn't have had uh, the, the amazing... So the th- a countless amount of merchandise, both fan and licensed, of I love you, I know. Right. There's so much that he's done. Oh, God. <laughs> Speaking Adios, of the Cepito. graphicness, yeah, it's just... Yikes. <laughs> and then, of course, the thing that we were all waiting for, mm-hmm. the giant ball. Okay, so... First off, one of the things that I love seeing at conventions is not just people dressing up as Indiana Jones, but someone chasing that cosplayer as the ball. That that is always a <laughs> wonderful thing when you when you catch something special like that. <laughs> and then this moment just kind of threw me uh, a lot because I'm like, "Oh shit, he's back!" But he ain't really back. Jesus. <laughs> Because that's the thing with Spielberg. It's not enough to have one right. thing. you got to have a Overkill. lot. <laughs> Belloc. You know what's really strange? Uh, a lot of you know superhero movies and action movies and that have really great and iconic heroes, uh, usually like there's a saying that gets tossed around that, you know, a hero is only as good as his villain. Um Interestingly enough, the the villains in Indiana Jones movies aren't really that remarkable. They're not very memorable. Indy, however, completely balances it out because he is super memorable from literally the first yeah. shot onward. Because uh, I mean, no. completely agree. He he is the the icon of this movie, and yeah, the some I mean the villains are not all that memorable. If anything, what's most memorable about the villains are their are their death throws are usually what's so memorable yes. about the de- villains in these films. However, this is this, that actually, this moment has always struck me as so odd. Like, uh, what is, what is Belloc's history that he speaks an obscure Aboriginal language? Like, <laughs> I have no idea. I, you might think that they have done that in like a comic book or something, but, I don't know, but the fact is that they give you just enough where you understand is good enough. Oh yeah, and I do, oh, I do love this where he's like, oh, it's it's such son a, of a great bitch. composition, <laughs> a little I bit mean... of humor, <laughs> running away from the Jovitos, <laughs> little Skywalker sound going there. <laughs> Yeah. This mo I mean everyone. And then the first hit of that music. Yep. Right. Yep. Oh, it's it's perfect. So good. And I also love that, you know, they've established him to be this kind of amazing badass who really knows his 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 skills and whatnot. But yeah. Then you he, he gets in over his head by being chased by all these natives and you see, oh, he 
does have his vulnerabilities. And speaking of vulnerabilities, here's his biggest. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, so good. Have you ever played the uh, Lego Indiana Jones movie or yeah. the Lego Indiana Jones games? Like, I love the fact that uh, if there's a place where there's like guarded off by snakes, you literally cannot pass as Indy. Yeah, it's it's, it's brilliant. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a wonderful little trait. And I, and this is and so that concludes probably the strongest intro to a film ever, like the best cold opening you've ever seen. Because I always looked at that opening as a short film onto itself, you know? Yeah. I mean, ar arguably, yes. I mean, it's, I mean, you, you'd really have to dig in and look around, but I mean, it's definitely a contender. I'm, I'm not going to go out of my way and say it's the best ever because it's certainly one of the best because oh, yeah. of course, you know, that's something that's subjective to everybody. Right. But, but I, uh, I, I can't think of anything off the top of my head where it's like, Oh, this surpasses that. It's so it's definitely, yeah a massive contender for it because you're right it does stand very well on its own mm -hmm. and i i've always been fascinated with making a sh I, I actually attempted to do it it just didn't quite work out for me as i would like to oh love you <laughs> <laughs> and the the moment that it takes for him to realize what the hell's going on because I, I will give it to him harrison ford was damn fine looking <laughs> even now he is he, he's aged um, but, uh, quite well. Yes, he has. Uh, but uh, yeah, like I always, I, I tried to make a, a short film that was, it felt like the opening to a much larger picture. Didn't quite work out the way that I wanted to, but uh, it was an interesting experiment to try. Uh, and I always love other movies that <laughs> kind of start with like a cold opening. <laughs> the Just the... He leaves the apple without even looking, just like, whatever. <laughs> Such a wonderful bit to his character. I love how Marcus is just like, oh yeah, I'm sure you're on the up and up. Like, we know you're shady, but whatever, you're our shady guy. Yeah. He is kind of an asshole, like, when you get down to uh, his character. I mean, he constant. If you really think of him as an archaeologist, as he's always been described as, he's kind of horrible. Well, <laughs> yeah, because like an archaeologist is supposed to like get permission and do a dig and like follow protocols. He's just like, I'm gonna grave rob. Like that's really that's what exactly it comes down right. to. But to be fair, it makes for a far more entertaining movie. Well, of course, <laughs> people. I mean, look, it, rule breakers are entertaining. They're not necessarily good in reality but they're perfect as you know uh characters you want to identify with because as they say everyone loves a rebel yes yes and speaking of rebels do you recognize one of them here the uh the the the, the gentleman uh in between uh uh marcus and uh the uh he'll, he'll come back in a moment uh, he, uh cuts back to him uh, uh the one in the uh, the, the the blue suit what what is is that a recast Porkins? That's Porkins. The guy on the other, the left there. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it never really occurred to me, but as soon as you said it, I'm like, oh yeah, duh. <laughs> it's totally Porkins right there. What a mean name. 
George. Really Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, uh, what was it? Some fan thing made uh, a comment like, uh, let's rename, let's just like see, stick a CG thing of uh, uh, celery in his hand and call him Healthykins. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> it's so awful, but it's still kind of funny. Um, but yeah, this is our big exposition dump, which I'm really glad that they were, were able to use this kind of whew, cooling down period uh, after that rousing uh, adventure opening to give the exposition dump because now we're like okay let's come down from the high yeah and while we're doing that we'll feed you some information which just goes to show you how well not just how well written the movie is but how well paced it is there is yeah. no dead air in this movie not even during scenes like this right there isn't and I'm, that's actually one of the uh the issues with a lot of modern action movies is the fact that they operate on this formula now where they want an action beat every so many minutes. It's like, that's really not necessary to create a good, you know, action adventure film, mm -hmm. uh, which movies like this prove. Uh, what it requires is good writing, intriguing characters and intriguing concepts. And what's nice here is, you know, obviously these movies are based on a level of history and I like that they bring in, you know, Hitler's obsession with the occult, which was very real. And, yes. you know, then they start talking, you know, about different points of arguable history about what happened to the to the Ark. So it's perfect. Yeah. And speaking of uh, some of the mythic stuff with Hitler, you know what I always wish that they would do for like if they wind up do really doing uh, Indy five, you know what I would love it to be? Hitler and the Spear or Indiana Jones and the Spear of Destiny. Ooh. And now here's the cool now here's the cool part. It doesn't take place in like the sixties or the fifties. It actually takes place in post uh um in uh, uh post war Europe. And it's going through the breakup of Nazi Germany after it's been dissolved. And because now India is looking for the Spear of Destiny that Hitler apparently had to obtain his power and he's got to stop the uh, the uh, uh, all the uh, the different allied powers that have taken over berlin and he has to but, and, but with, and how, he, oh, with how old he is now i don't think there's enough cgi to pull that one off oh we'll see i mean they kind of they they can i feel like they probably could it would be very expensive but they could do it uh and what i would but i just had the, i think a friend of mine was talking to me and like you know what would be really great to have if he had a partner uh, who was an ex-Nazi person? Like he wasn't really like a Nazi at his heart. He was just—he was like one of the people that were dismissed from the Nuremberg trials because he's just there for—he's legitimately there only for his country and for his his family. He was wrong up in this. Mm -hmm. um, and his introduction is, you know, we met before, Doctor Jones, and he's like, really? Yeah, you threw me out of a truck. <laughs> <laughs> that, that could be an absolutely amazing moment. Uh, so, like, and, I thought that would be really fun. look at this artwork they created here. I mean, oh. just... Oh. Yes. Oh, and this really great character reveal moment. Power of God or something. Like, I love that he's like, I don't believe in this mumbo-jumbo. I'm just in, in it for the actual bits. Like... He's, su he's such a... It's interesting how much of a skeptic he is. Mm 
And I've also done readings that uh, indie is kind of the perfect uh, alchemation of the cynical hero and the romantic hero. You, you know what he I just, like, just noticed there that I'd never quite caught before? Oh, what's when, that? When he walked back up to, to Marcus, they put like a very faint golden light on him. Almost alluding to what happens hey. later with it. Like I never <laughs> even noticed that before, and it's faint, but it definitely shines like there for just a brief moment. And I'm like, what a great like, uh, you know, foreshadowing that was just done so subtly. And it's like even now, after how many times of watching this, I'm catching new things like that. That's what great movies really do. Is that you can have seen this dozens hundreds of times but every time you actually really sit down and watch them you can spot something new and something fascinating and fun that's just hidden right in front of your right in, that's been in right in front of your face this whole time i would also like to I point out that. that people do not wear uh smoking jackets enough anymore i <laughs> know well we did get that but a lot of people apparently didn't quite dig it and that was snoke from the last jedi or his <laughs> snoking jacket as i like to call it um <laughs> but you're right that we should have more of that i think it, a lot of people didn't do it for the longest time because you know that was for a long time hugh hefner's thing yeah but you know you don't have to smoke in like a, a lounge robe or smoking jacket it's like you can have it and have a nice drink with it you know just yeah have a nice pipe Gives you gives you a sense of. You know what I really love about that last scene? Largely, it is done in roughly one take. Yeah, and you constantly forget that it is. I well, I mean that that's one of the brilliant things about about these movies is that they they don't they don't overcomplicate themselves with the camera work. They allow you know, the actions to take the narrative. I mean, uh-oh. And and that's very important. Okay, little trivia fun fact. So, you know the uh, the the actor who plays the uh the, the Gestapo, yeah, who's following him. That actually was not him. He was huh. unavailable for that particular insert. So, do you know who that really is? Dennis Murin of uh, Industrial Light and Magic. You might recognize okay. him in interviews. Uh, he was one of the chief model makers for the uh, the entire trilogy of Star Wars. Yeah. And one of the founding members, actually, of Industrial Light and Magic. Uh, and they actually used his eyes as an insert, which I thought was always really fun. Anytime I see that, I'm like, hey, Dennis, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> oh, now that, okay, so we talked about how good... Indiana Jones's character was revealed. Oh, this is a yeah. great, just, just great equally. reveal. And you know, talking again, something that is very clearly a set, but a set that is, is perfect. Like it does exactly what it's supposed to do. And again, this is all in one continuous shot, but you keep forgetting it because the camera moves in such a way that it links all these different shots together. Like you have your two close-ups, your insert of the glasses. Uh, and then they, he does even more brilliant things like having the, the paper going 
it, like uh -huh. in the bringing it into the foreground so you can see it. And it because I mean I think uh, many of us film students have seen the YouTube series Every Frame of Painting, uh, and the brilliant episode that he did on uh, the Spielberg Wonder, and how he talked about how all these shots are kind of linked into one moving master and, I to mean, create just a much yeah how that hand cre perfectly shows the reluctance <laughs> and the drunkenness of it. And also, I just love how the timing of it is beautiful because it's always funny when this happens. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it just, I think uh, camera moves and direction like that just prove to me that Spielberg probably has some of the finest sense uh, blocking sensibilities of any director i think who's working hollywood today oh yeah and i mean right here just you, you talked about the silhouette earlier now an actual yeah. silhouette but that is yeah. just perfect so film noir and i love how big and overshadowing it is to her character and it isn't until she walks a little bit closer to the camera that then they become equals mm -hmm. that's that's lovely little blocking and then, of course, just to make the intro even better, straight up punches him. Uh, that's probably the one thing about this movie that didn't really age well. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> uh, we could, you know, stay here and say it's different times, not just for when the movie was made, but also when it took place, but... Yeah, it's still there. Yeah. <laughs> Regardless, though, still a wonderful character. Marion is still, like, my favorite out of uh, the indie female leads. Well... I'm still kind of genuinely shocked that it took uh, all the way to Crystal Skull for her to make her return, you know? Yeah, a bit. I mean, she was definitely the strongest one. However, I mean... I, I would definitely say that um, Elsa was necessary, so. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, and plus Elsa made for just some wonderful, wonderful ca uh, character stuff with uh, his dad. Right. Particularly, you know. We'll get, we'll get to that sleep. when we get to that movie. Come on now. <laughs> also, can we just talk about how high functioning she is considering all the liquor she just right went like I, that was always my thought here it's just like how are you standing and making complete sentences like when you first punched him you should have missed his jaw <laughs> which you know when you see this entire interaction it just makes you think that her reaction with the shot was a feint to throw the people off to almost hey. increase her kitty that might be the case but either way, I'm just like, dude. For was that so? Is that the first time this we've got to hear his full name? I don't think so. It might be. I mean, we've heard him called Doctor Jones a lot yeah. up to this point. So, no, I think Belloc may have said it. 
oh, I'm gonna have to go back and yeah, read a transcript. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. That's that's gonna bug me. <laughs> oh, and then the staff of Raw headpiece. I also I would now, like to point out that they mentioned it was bronze, and for the fact or um, that you know she wears it, but the condition it's in, it's like that obviously meant something very much to her because she has kept that well polished, very nice, like yeah, yeah. But uh, although you know what's interesting, um, because I'm uh, a, a frequent reader of the uh, the Rop replica prop forum or the RPF as it is, uh, I actually found out there are, in fact, two versions of the Staff of Ra. Uh, there's one that you see in this bar here where you don't see the inscription, and then when you, later in the film, there are inscriptions on either side. Hmm. So there's actually two versions of that prop, and in order to get the quote-unquote full version of that, you need two different headpieces. Hmm. Um, and one of my favorite... Uh, 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 people, celebrities in the world, Adam Savage, he actually has a pair in his office that uh, he showed off on his, his web series, which was really wonderful. Man, dude. Spielberg just knows how to light a villain so much. Like, because uh, the, the, he's using a little bit of the technique, you know, we, us film nerds like to throw out there the dutch lighting angle where it's like the light coming from above to give mm -hmm. to give it that scary atmosphere but he does it in a way where it's not so obvious yeah but he if you also look i mean he uh just from those two shots right there she's straight on he is slightly below creating just yes. a hint of the menace yes and it isn't until See, right there, yeah. the, the angle's slightly up at him, making him a bit more menacing instead of the yep. straight on when he was he's does, you know, with with uh, with her. Yep. And to make it even more crazy. Oh, this. Man, that's so cool. Like, you know, they just like, you know, put it in like a, a steam thing to make it look like it's steaming and burning. And it's just like an LED sort of thing. But. I'll be damned if the lighting, the camera, the, the performances, the, sweat. And the sound, the sweat. Oh, it looks so scary. And then, of course, if a fight wasn't enough, we got to set the whole place on fire. Oh, and you know what? This reminds me of something. Have you ever heard of the Raiders uh, fan film, the greatest film fan film ever made? It's called Raiders and Adaptation. Uh, I've heard of it. I have not seen it. <laughs> I have seen it all the way through. It's amazing. But uh, uh, the story is apparently these group of kids who saw Raiders of the Lost Ark when it first came out loved it so much they went to go see it like nine or ten times. Oh, damn. That's crazy. They went to go see it nine or ten times, memorized the whole movie, took lots of pictures, and they decided to recreate the entire movie shot for shot. Just a bunch of amateur kids with a whole bunch of things. But when it got to this part, they actually set their entire basement on fire using ice purple alcohol. Wow. <laughs> yeah, because it leaves no scorch marks. Uh, but then one of them, who the guy who got shot on, who was on fire, he was actually wearing a, uh, a raincoat that was fire retardant. And he said, you know what? I'm just going to, at the last minute, like, oh, I'm going to be perfectly safe. So I'm just going to use gasoline. 
<laughs> which he did, and he amazingly didn't get hurt. But I'm like, Jesus. Wow. Yeah, it's an amazing, amazing adaptation. They do everything. Uh, oh, I love this moment. Like the silhouette. Ah, oh, so good. But uh, yeah, man. Like they. And, I mean, right the they didn't thing. cut. Yeah, they don't know. Like, it's great. The long shots in this movie are amazing. The blocking is amazing. And oh, do they know how to make it look painful? <laughs> that scream. Also, the stunt work. And speaking of stunts, there's uh, Pat Roach, who uh, we later see as the uh, the big, beefing, uh, bald oh, Nazi yeah. guy that, yeah, who has to be ki- apparently has to be killed in every Indiana Jones movie. Oh. Again, you know, they the, the didn't shy away from being pretty graphic. Yeah. They, they got to have it uh, get give you that, that visceral quality. Otherwise, it just would wind up being a little too, uh, too kid-friendly. And who wants that? We want the edge. <laughs> and then now we're traveling from Nepal all the way to Cairo. He's... Man, can you imagine the flight time for poor Indy? And particularly in those days when the planes were not as fast as they were now. Yeah, man. I mean, that that's why you have these stops. You got to change planes or refuel because Yep. Yep. They they couldn't they couldn't do that haul. I imagine there's a lot of reading for him. That's where, that's where he does a lot of his studies, I imagine. Now we on location in Cairo. And, uh, that I do remember. And John Rice Davies, right? One of one of the two most iconic roles the man played has played throughout his career. Yep. This is the first. I mean, obviously he went on to play Gimli, which is I and Treebeard. Well, yes, but I mean, everyone knows Gim- Gimli. Yeah, I mean that, that's I, where he got to see his face. That yeah, I mean th- those two roles are definitely you know the defining uh, pillars of this man's career. You know, it's another really big one that uh, at least my generation growing watching SpongeBob was. He was known as Man Ray. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> uh, a show I never got. And then we get a little bit more mystery of the, uh, the arc, which that's the other thing that I really love about this movie and something that a lot of other movies don't do with their MacGuffins is that they really build around the mystery. And by the end of the movie, they it's kept in the dark, you know, like a lot of the, especially in these movies, like the Ark, <laughs> uh, the Holy Grail, um, the stones, um, all of those, even when the movie's over and uh, there's still like that level of mystery to them. You know? Gosh, his delivery is so perfect. Right?
Hmm. That's such good writing. Man. Lawrence Kasdan really can't get enough credit for this movie, I think. <clears throat> Between that and Empire. The, the 80s, I think, were the golden age for that guy. <laughs> Monkey! <laughs> the fact that they got the monkey to right? do the Nazi oh, salute. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I think that was a total accident too. Like they just kind of happened to get that. I'm like, oh, you know how cool this would be? <laughs> <laughs> and then of course we also even have this little wonderful little foreshadowing with the baskets. Oh yeah. And the fact that they're everywhere really uh, uh, gives it that that foreground that you when the action the actual action is happening you can help it it helps to process much better and just like the uh the the uh the temple uh uh set that we saw this feels like a movie backdrop even though i know it's totally on location yeah um it does have that that feel to it which again works for the the material and it doesn't deter me in any way yeah i know it's fake but because that i know that it helps the adventure a little bit more yeah uh, and at the same time i mean i mean you're very right about about the set but i mean just the way they organically were even fleshing out their relationship right there before all this started yeah you know yeah. It, it's perfect it's like none of it's done forcibly it's like yeah that's the kind of stuff you would talk about when you're in that environment yep Oh man, this the this chore this action choreography is frigging great. And this where he pulls out the fruit. Oh, it's yeah. like that would have never worked even with the blocking of that scene, but when you edit it together in montage, it just feels it, it, so yeah. pulpy and right. And I just love how stiff they make the Nazi agent look like. Yes. <laughs> nope. <laughs> and I love that they also and, and give this, Marion the this sound right moment. here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it feels so... Again, it does have that boyish charm to it where you know how the sausage is made in that. But what I don't get is right there. Why? Like, I mean, she jumps in there. Why wouldn't she go right back to that doorway? Like she had a dark doorway to hide in. And it's like, why did you go for a basket? Uh, Because movie. That's why. Yeah, but. (laughs) And that's really what this is in service to. Movie. And then, of course, probably the most iconic bit, because I don't know if, if you could, if you know the story behind it, where he was super sick and uh-huh. why they had to change it. Just, it. When you see the cut, you can totally see where Harrison is just dying on his feet. Oh yeah. 
And then... <laughs> oh, it's, it's so good. It's, it's great. You know, I actually had my a, a total geek fantasy of mine come true with that. I went to Star Wars Celebration in 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, I dressed up as Indiana Jones as one of the days. And I was lo- and I was looking around for a Darth Maul to come up and to be intimidate me to whip around his lightsaber, and I would just pull out my pistol and shoot him, and he'd fall down. And I found it, and I did it. I got it on video, and it's amazing. Oh, it was that the- moment right there—the close up on the eyes, the pullback, yes. the, the con. The terror, terrified confusion. You know that there's like just a shitload of those baskets everywhere. Oh, it's such, it, it, and it's all in the eyes and in the sweat, I might add. And they're all pissed off, rightly so. <laughs> yes. Oh, man, those sounds. And then, uh, like we said before, it's not enough for Spielberg just to have like one thing of explosives you got to have a truckload right now i remember watching the uh, the making of and apparently uh this this uh uh truck stunt went wrong it was supposed to flip over completely ha huh. but um spielberg just kind of looked at it and said you know what i think it worked we'll move on well, and it, 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 the, it does work. It plays so much more realistically. Yeah, because they, because I think uh, the 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 the, the uh, choreographer and the uh, the the DP were all looking at it like uh, we were kind of hoping for a more spectacular, you know, kind of flip sort of thing. But if the director says we're going to move on, then we're going to move on, and it wound up working just fine for the design of, of shots and the momentum of action that he had, and. Now he's and now he gets to just grieve. Yeah, but I, I love the they they just use the how empty the bottle is to portray you yeah. know how far gone yeah. he is. Like they they don't have him slurring or stumbling, but they make it clear from that like this man is not in good shape. You know, he in that moment in a lot of ways he really did. He even takes the liquor with. Oh yeah. Um, but in a lot of ways, in that one shot previously, he really does exemplify uh, Humphrey Bogart. Oh and yeah, it's a complete film noir moment. I mean, yeah, it really is. Uh, and it also weirdly kind of remembers, you know, years later when I saw The Dark Knight, right after, you know, spoilers when uh, Rachel's killed off and Batman's brooding alone in his penthouse. I kind of got those same vibes, you know, because. It's weird that we have, like, main characters that are supposedly killed off halfway through the movie, and you have a, uh, a, a character grieve, like, really have a moment for that. Oh, was he actually, was he actually, ha- did he have a hookah? Yep. Oh, my God, I totally, wow, I, how did I not notice that? I guess I was focusing on Indy all these years. I did not notice the hookah. Yep, he walks in and Belloc's hitting the hook. How about that? <laughs> right on, man. <laughs> oh man, he's Indy never loses his uh his charm even when he's just 
pissed off and ready to go. And I I love that they do these kind of shots so much in this movie where it's like, you know, they they're doing like over the shoulder or like, you know, foreground shots like this to to focus on, you know, you get his reaction, but like the other guy's in focus, but you can just see how angry he is. Yeah, even out of focus, you can tell he's just pissed off. Um, but it also goes to show that uh, the blocking of those movies are so crucial. And something that I've always been annoyed in modern movies is that it's usually just, you know, close up, close, medium shot, medium shot, close up, close up, close, close, closer. Yeah. And it's just a lot of coverage and there's no real rhythm. Uh, and you also don't get a sense of where you are, you know, like you're always in close up and therefore you're not allowed to see these great sets and yeah. these great locations. And um, I mean, this interaction, like the way they shot all of that, it makes it, you know, it's not, it makes it so clear that this is personal, that this is between two people. Those yes. annoying ways where they'll just be like, we're cutting back and forth and you can't see both people. It's like it really removes the personal feel from an encounter or conversation yep. like that. And they yep. they knew so well that that was necessary and needed to be in here. Oh, yeah, yeah. There is a time for close-ups and extreme close-ups. Uh, but when you constantly do it because you know, it's the actor and, you know, they, we have to oblige to their contract and their amount of screen time and blah, blah, blah. You lose a lot of what you're trying to do in the story. I mean, right. you could tell an entire uh, scene just through a medium shot, especially if you're moving the actors and moving the camera around uh, to keep, you, you know, the, the frame interesting. Because, I mean, yeah, you could do it all in one take with all the actors in the frame but if you just keep it static for like five minutes the audience is going to get bored you got to exactly. move them around you got to move the camera around um and that's what spielberg is so frigging good at is that he does a lot of long takes for these scenes but you don't ever notice them because it's always shifting yeah and what i love right here um with you know when they first showed this is you know, the the slightly odd, uneven pattern because it shows it, it creates such a realism. It's like, yeah, like that that's stuff you're going to find. Not everything's symmetrical. Not everybody operates that way. Yep. Yep. And not every culture appreciates the same things. And I love like it's such a subtle thing, but it it covers it so well. Yeah. And here, I mean, man, like this kid doesn't have lines and yet he nails in the exact moment there of what he's supposed to be relating. Yep. It's great. Yep. Yep. And, uh, the, uh, the, the, the translator working off in the background, even though he's on screen for only a, just a couple of seconds because of the environment that they build around him, uh, they, they establish, you can pretty much tell everything you need to know about that character, you know? Yeah. Uh, this is something that, uh, you know, a lot of uh, uh, films by the Coen brothers are really good at. They have these close-ups or these medium shots uh, of, a, of just side characters that you only see once in a movie, but they put them in such a surrounding with a 
in, and design them in such a, and cast them in such a way that you, you can take uh, five seconds and you know exactly what this uh, person is all about. That's really good uh, um, uh, bit role casting, mm-hmm. in my opinion. It's so weird seeing Indian glasses when he's got like the the jacket and the, the rest yeah. of the, the. I must take it he's uh, he's uh, far sighted. Yeah. They're digging in the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> and something else I love about this is like. You know, you can see, Uh-oh. you know, nope. Belloc there and not, sorry, not Belloc. Um, Sala. Yeah, sorry. You can see Sala there and you really understand from his appearance there and from the, the the subtle interaction, even though he's not really talking with this man, but he knows the man they just got the information from. Um, I think the costuming there is so important because it really shows you that in his place, in his city, in his culture, this is an important man. Yeah, yeah, he's uh, he, he's he he's got a man with connections. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now this set with hundreds of extras on a big uh, a big desert in a widescreen format. Now I imagine when Spielberg got to this location, he finally got to live out his dream of being having a sense of what it was like to be out there for Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> Cause uh, if you talk to interview or look at interviews uh, with Spielberg on Lawrence of Arabia, uh, he's, he, he's, he's said very often that it's his probably his favorite film of all time. Uh, it's one of my personal favorites as well. Uh, uh, but he's because he grew up in, in Phoenix, Arizona, he grew up in the desert. So he had, it, that film had such a huge impact and uh later on when he was doing um uh the restoration for lawrence uh he actually got to meet david lean and show the, him his restoration while he, while sitting next to him and in a weird way david lean actually started talking to him doing a dvd style commentary sort of like what we're doing huh right next to Spielberg as he was watching Lawrence of Arabia, a live commentary from David lean on his most well-known epic. How amazing would that have been? Oh, I mean, that, that, that's always a dream for, for any fan, you know, is, is getting to, to have those kind of moments. Um, you know, and, and bringing it back to this scene right here, once again, we see the fantastic way that, that they use the uh, the music and the score to create the sense of, yes. of moment and mystery here. Yes, the mystery is such a big element of it. And John Williams is, as always, he's John Williams has always been great in his film work, his jazz work, his uh, charitable events, his with big scores and epic scores and swashbuckling and delicate little piano things. Everything he's ever done has just Oh, made yeah. I the mean, films so much more enriching. I mean, there is he deserves being the most, you know, successful person in Academy history. 
Yes. It's well yeah. earned. Um, actually, I think he's the second behind Walt well, Disney. Living. But living. Yeah, living. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, uh, and gosh, it's going to be an awful day when he finally departs the mortal plane. But it won't matter because he will live forever through these pieces. I, I love this moment right here because it shows you something else. Yes. Uh, because not only was their staff the wrong length, if you look, he picked a different hole, which shows that their interpretation of what they read there in the first place was even wrong. Yes. Like, it, it shows his level of care and knowledge, and it does it so subtly that it's just like, wait a minute, like, you that's don't even such realize. A good point. Yeah, dude, that's such a good point. Wow, the sun's moving really fast now. Right? <laughs> How long was he in there? Did he have lunch in there? I hope so. But it doesn't matter because the music just makes this moment so amazing with the ethereal choir. Mm -hmm. oh. And that wonderful, you know, shot of him in the turban, like in the uh, yes. costume of the of the people. Like it, it's it's great. And, then, and it almost course, it almost conveys a religious sense, you know, which ties back into looking for the ark and and that whole uh, whole thing. Yep. And here it is. Pew. Ha ha ha! The excitement, the yep. oh, and, and, and the and the golden glow, like yes. You know, like the, you said, like it was totally foreshadowed. Yeah, they, they hinted that just a, like just a, so subtly. It's it's great. Love little details like that. And then destroying the evidence. Saw. See the appropriate way to fully destroy the evidence, though. I always. It's like you leave the two Bump. pieces in there. You should have taken one with you, like something. How hard yeah. is it to put a stick back together? Come on. Like, I always mm -hmm. thought that was just a little careless. Maybe you did take it up because we didn't actually get him see hoisted up. Uh, no, you saw him throw it to the side. Oh, you're probably right. Oh, well, Indy. Well... I guess Indy really doesn't think things through as much as we'd like to think. Yeah, that that's he is Reveal. very much a fly by the seat of his pants. I don't know. I'm making this up as I go. <laughs> <laughs> and this is something that uh, uh, they they did way back in the day before Chris Nolan did it in The Dark Knight. Kill, seemingly killing off a character halfway mm -hmm. through the movie only to bring him right back in like a few minutes like about you know a couple 20 30 minutes later i guess you really could kind of compare uh the dark knight to raiders and that just sheer entertainment kick-ass I... practical action aspect yeah, I mean, I, I could definitely agree with that. What I love about this scene is the fact that they keep their composure and nail it with a fly buzzing around and even landing on them. And they yep, just don't yep. break. I mean, it shows a great level of professionalism. 
No, that's going to be even more so with Belloc in uh, the, the Valley of the Souls later on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we'll get there when we get there. Right now, oh, there it is. Oh, wait, no, that's not it. It's right there. No? And, I mean, when you think of just the, the pacing of this movie and how much... Like, how many beats and scenes and locales are able to, to fit in here? And none of it feels rushed, and yet there's so mm -hmm. many. Yeah. It's it's crazy. Crazy how much, how all over the place we is. We go to South America, Nepal, the United States, Cairo, uh, a weird island off the shore of Cairo in the middle of the sea. Right, like the, the submarine, the shit. It's just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> It's nuts. Now this actor, the 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 German actor speaking here, I I forget his name, but I've seen him in a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, one thing I do rem really remember him appearing in, uh, in relation to Spielberg, is that he actually appeared as a uh, 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 a German general at the end of Band of Brothers. Um, mm. If you ever saw that show, he, oh, uh, oh yes, a... I, I actually just wrapped up a rewatch of that like two nights ago. Oh, right on! Yeah, you remember the of uh, uh, the, yeah, the general well. who gives the speech yep. at the end of the series? That was him. Apparently, he gets typecast a lot because of his very strong German jaw. <laughs> yeah, and and you know that happens. There's actually something interesting I, I've noticed that I I noted recently. There's been this strange trend of people who it's like, oh, I got well known for portraying a Nazi. I now have to play a role that is the antithesis of Nazi because <laughs> let's not have that typecast. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is such a good shot. It really, it's... That is John Ford right there. Oh, yeah. Uh, Although, I, I, it's a brilliant shot, but it's also to a certain level, I mean... It also illustrates his character, and in a bad way, because it's like, he's in his element. He looks like him, he's put his hat on, but it's like, he's not thinking. Like, you're still in enemy territory, and you just put yeah. a signal to, I mean, Belloc knows you. That's almost a yep. signal like, here I am. Yep. And like, why aren't you digging suit, too? Shouldn't you be a, right? like, the most excited I do love the uh, the kind of semi cheap uh, lightning and storm effects. Oh in gosh, the sky. yeah, they, they like. Well, yeah, it looks like a moving matte painting. Yeah, and and as we said, you know, a lot of this kind of harkens back to you know, like we're gonna make a movie that it in concept could have been done as an old radio serial. So like that yeah. stuff's perfect. It's just like, and then the air escaping. Oh, man, that sky is amazing. Because the artificiality of it is it adds so much pulp to it. Oh, and right there with his, his blazing eyes and... Whoa! <laughs> Got to have, like, a little bit of a jump scare. Oh, yeah. And then, of course... Well, I mean, they, they just made that whole scene so serious. They had to break the tension. Yes. 
And then, why does the floor move? Oh. <laughs> so many snakes. And the fact that they really pushed to really get them moving around right. like that. Oh. And then we get probably my favorite line of the whole movie. Where it just pans all the way up to him. <laughs> it's it's he just went from so excited to his sails completely like just no wind gone i also love sala's reaction just very dangerous you go first yep <laughs> but yeah man uh, the ridiculous level of snakes like I remember uh, looking up uh, the making of and how Spielberg got all these snakes. Like, oh, like it must have been like 2,000 snakes. And he said, that's not enough. That we got to have yeah. a lot more. To the point where they actually got like a lot of uh, rubber snakes. And even, I'm not making this up, actual garden hoses. <laughs> just to flesh it out even more. Um, and most of them were just, you know, like, you know, harmless gardener snakes and whatnot. A uh, couple of pythons that were uh, tamed up, but it was when the cobras came in where everyone oh, yeah. got nervous. That was that was the scary part. I also really love this little bit here. I think it, now it, we've talked about how this movie just zips by and there's hardly a dull moment. If there is a dull moment, and it is by no stretch of the imagination a criticism, but if there is a slow port part to this uh, 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 movie, it's this bit. It just slows it up a little bit where you're like, no, can we just get back to the arc? Well, no, but it's great because one of the issues so many modern films has that they don't stop to take a breath. True, true. Um, it's just that I think that the arc is just so interesting that you kind of want to not be cut away, but in a weird way, you're right that it could work for it because, because you're cutting away, you're like, no, like it's, it's the, uh, st old storyteller wanting, uh, you know, not giving his, uh, st his listeners too much. You always want them coming back for more. Exactly. And then now we're there, but here, but now we're here. We are back at the uh, um, right. But it's a great time shift because, like, yeah, you care about finding the arc, but you don't want to sit there and watch him drop ten torches. By doing that cut, it allows them to move the action forward without being sluggish while also taking a breath. I mean, it's brilliant writing and, and build a little character. Oh, geez, yeah. We mentioned the co how scary the Cobras were. Uh-huh. Okay, so Harrison Ford has said many times he doesn't really have a fear of snakes. But I could, I would not blame him at all if this is the one time where he wasn't really acting here. <laughs> right. It's like, Because uh... you know how they did that shot, right? I don't know if I recall, actually. They actually had a plate of glass separating the Cobra and Indy. 
And ah. if you look closely, and I mean it's like in there for like maybe a couple of frames, it's seriously blink and you'll miss it. But if you look closely, when uh, he uh, uh, lands, his hat very delicately presses up against the, uh, uh, the, the glass. And you mm-hmm. can kind of see it. And apparently in like the original you know, theatrical cut before they went and... Because that was like one of the few blemishes that they actually fixed up is that you couldn't see that plate glass. But apparently, mm. like, back in the day, it's, it's said that in the old prints, you could just for a moment see light reflect off of the glass. And But again, it's such a blink and you'll miss it. Right. And the fact that you're wrapped up so much in the story, <laughs> no one really noticed anyway. And then, of course, we're doing this again. <laughs> yeah, but, like, she puts him to shame and... Exactly. Because we know he, what she's capable of. Right, but he has such an ego, he has to match. Like, he's yep. like, well, like, he's... And it's perfect, because, like, that's very much his character. It's like, yeah, I'm I'm the best. I'm awesome. I can't be shown up. And the really nice thing is, now that you mention uh, that you do need to kind of cut away to this every once in a while, uh, it, 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 it just made me realize just how perfectly paced it is, because... We don't spend too much too much time with uh, 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 Belloc and and Marion. We spend just the right amount of time before we cut back to to Sala and Indy. Right, but um, that it's... time also allows you to get to to not have to dwell on some of the mundane aspects of their exploration, which is perfect. Oh, totally. Oh, hey, if you look in between Sala and Indy right now, you can. Yeah. It's really hard to see, but. We all know it. We've all, our, us indie fans have seen it, but R2-D2 and C-3PO are on the hieroglyphs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> lovely, lovely little production in-joke between uh, Spielberg and Lucas. And it really is kind of amazing just how much Lucas was initially involved. I mean, he's the one who pitched uh, Indy to, to, to Spielberg in the first place. Um, while they were making sandcastles of all things, yeah, can you imagine how, that? That's the only real way that <laughs> a movie like this could have probably been pitched. Just two boy best friends, kind of just sitting on the sand, in their little sandbox, making some sandcastles and talking about what they would like to do as a movie. Yeah, I mean for sure. That's. that's I just, mean. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but yeah, that's it. Like, they're just, they're very good friends, and it makes sense that at some point they were going to end up collaborating. But the the sheer uh, boyish charm to <laughs> that pitch was, is, could, it, it, it is so wonderful how that, that's how this movie was conceived. Just two, two adults masquerading as kids, having a good time on the beach building a sandcastle. And trying to just, you know, get a vacation away from things. Because I think it was uh, right after uh, uh, Spielberg was um, off the, uh, uh, was uh, uh, getting off the uh, 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 disappointment of 1941. And uh, George Lucas was getting off of the horrible, horrible experience making Star Wars. So they just decided <laughs> to come together for this. Ah. Uh, Dude, that has got to be one of the great gags ever. Yeah. 
Like, it's just a, oh, man. Like, I forget who actually came up with that little bit. I feel like it was, like, one of the prop makers or something. And we also have our Pulp Fiction lighting for this thing. <laughs> <laughs> the 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 uh, the orange glow. And then our glory shot. <sighs> Man. So this this thing within the film has been built up to be like one of the great MacGuffins. But now that it's reached such a successful level of filmmaking history, that very prop has become synonymous as the Ark of the Covenant of film props. (laughs) (laughs) Although I'm almost curious as to why Indy didn't open it just then and there. That's one thing that in subsequent viewings that I've kind of questioned myself as to why they just immediately created off instead of actually opening it up and taking a look I think, or a peek even. Well, cause I think regardless of what's inside the object itself is the importance. And I think he's more about like, let's get it and get out. Yeah. I, that I can see. It's just a little bit in me is like, even if I found that, I would want to take it, like, you know, just, like, peek under the hood for just a moment and then and then take a run. But then again, we wouldn't have some amazing action sequences if he did. Because, the, 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 cause like, this has been, like, this whole second act has been kind of the lull where we only had just the chase sequence out in the, the streets of Cairo. And then a lot of it's just been, you know, a little bit of character building, a little bit of mystery building. And once, you know, once the the thing closes up, it's just going to be almost nonstop action for like the next half hour, 45 minutes. Yeah. But that, that pacing's so important. Like movies that don't stop to take a breath exhaust you. This yes. allows you to get such a nice, solid build and... You know, as you're heading now into into the, the 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 final act, and you're just like, so ready. Yes. I also love the the fact that Belloc is actually a little bit concerned. Right. Like, like, hey, that's my drinking buddy. He, he he doesn't, like, he's not devoid of humanity, but he is yeah. also just extremely selfish. Also, can we talk about how much skill it takes to have an actress... Oh, jeez. See, that actually just bounced off the, the glass. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was... Yikes. Um... But yeah, you got to admire the skill it must take to land that correct take where you're shooting up into an actress's skirt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you still don't quite catch as much as you uh you hope you would. 
because you're because you're always because I've actually done that in one of my short films, and thank God I think like on take two we got one where it was just right, and because I because it's always just a real yeah. difficult thing. Yeah. Oh. And again, <laughs> genres Davies just delivering a, a perfect emotional yep. moment. Yep. And the fact that the air is running out, all of this. <laughs> the whip. <laughs> and, and of course, you got to have a little bit of bickering among them. <laughs> that that urgency is so good. You know what also really helps the pacing of this movie? Because there's a shot coming up with uh, Marion when the torch is about to go out, and it's like a close-up, and you can see the that it's pretty much almost gone and she's got this look of fear on her face. But it really, it reminds me that literally every shot of this movie was scripted and storyboarded and meticulously planned. Cause um, when Spielberg did Jaws, obviously, you know, it was just a really bad case of Murphy's law. Like right. everything <laughs> went bad. So he wanted to be as prepared as he could be for this one, which is why every single shot was storyboarded um yeah and it's this shot here that just feels like i could see yeah this shot where i could see the initial artwork for the storyboards um and that really helps the pace because and it also helped him as a director because apparently this movie uh not only was came in under budget it actually f finished ahead of schedule which yeah how often just, do you ever hear that I know, right? So, uh, and another really great testament to this movie. Uh, in many, many interviews that I've read of Spielberg, this is the one movie he said where I can just be an audience member. Like, I don't <laughs> look at my films as objectively as a filmmaker. This is the one film of mine where I can just enjoy it as a popcorn movie. God, I love how crazy insane over to the top this part is. Oh, yeah. Again, you can't have just one. <laughs> I know, you gotta have, like, a whole bunch. <laughs> just have her completely engulfed in it. And then with the snake coming out of the mouth, it's just, ah, it's so scary and fun. And the dust, too. Like, my God. And now we have probably the oh, some yeah. of the coolest action. Okay, so way back when uh, when I was a kid, I went to Disney World for the first time. Mm -hmm. And there was a little subsection area for MGM. And they had the Indiana Jones stunt show where they reenacted the opening mm -hmm. scene. They had the fight from Cairo. And they had this sequence with the uh, the airplane flight. This they, uh... was actually the the first time I had seen that. I had I saw that show first before I had seen the movie. 
they uh they also had that show uh i grew up out in in california in san diego but i caught uh that show they did it at disneyland as well ah and so you know how much fun it is to see those live shows and oh yeah to really appreciate that choreography and set design um, and I also love how the fact that even though they have a scaled down version of the uh, the plane for that show, uh, but when the guy you know gets hit with the blades, they oh, just yeah. drop him through a trap door and put some smoke in there, and it's man, it's so much fun. It's Pat Roach again, <laughs> and I love that he's sizing him up like just let's right. go. Oh, so good. Well, it it it's so perfect just because like. It's that arrogant, like, overpower, like, you, like, this isn't even, like, a Nazi thing. This is, like, any, like, buff guy who thinks he's super yep. strong, you know, special forces kind of attitude person. It's perfect. He, I almost wish that they gave him, like, the, the, the Nietzsche mustache. So he'd look <laughs> like the, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the, the, the gentlemanly boxer. Yeah. Meme. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I he does look agree. like a circus like, strongman. You, you, you totally think that uh, that he has it, even though he doesn't. Like you just—that's where your mind instantly wow. goes. And that right there, and the delivery, just yep. Oh, <laughs> jeez. And I love the sound effects for those punches, man. Like there's not only are they iconic, but they just feel so not only painful, but also give it that element of pulp that adds so much to the movie, uh, which I believe those sound effects, by the way, because uh, I've recreated them myself. They're the sound of baseball bats being uh, smacked against leather jackets. Hmm. And I also love this shot. It, again, it looks fake, but. It made me think of the uh, the live show that they did. Like when you <laughs> see her open fire and the squibs, they all go off at once on the truck. Like you'd think they would go, dee, 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 dee. no, they all just go off at once. Yeah. And it gives it that, you know, Hollywood backlot feel to it, which even though they double cut to make it look like more than once and they do, you know, stuff like that, um, it just feels more fun. Like you're like, it's a little tongue in cheek kind of way of doing special effects. He's just like oh, the hell <laughs> and the records, the record scratch, like, right. Oh. <laughs> Whoa. Watch the blades. <laughs> And that's the other thing, like, as soon as, like, the, the, the guy sawed off the wrench in, in the first fist fight, you know those blades are going to come into a, have, like, oh, a yeah. big payoff. Like, you just know. Go get him, Indy. Love that theme. Oh, God. <laughs> Oh boy. Damn. 
Oh, here it is. And the smile beforehand. <laughs> and now it's to the rescue. Now, here's the shot that's amazing, for special effects-wise. You look in the background, there's actual flame catching uh -huh. up the fuel dump. And the actors have to make those marks. And we got the big run and the explosion. And another big explosion, all done in one take with multiple camera setups. Like great craft yeah and what i love about it you know is that it's not overly michael bay no like, no they blew they, up it's but just... it's not like over giant explosion nope <laughs> even to this day that explosion always gets like makes me jump just a little bit <laughs> i think it's the pacing <laughs> of the dialogue when the one guy's being always gets interrupted Another really great use of the silhouette. I swear to God, like half the shots in this movie feel like, I think Ebert, Roger Ebert once described it as like almost every one of these shots feel like the cover to an old comic book pulp magazine. Yeah, that, yeah. that's actually, that's a great description. I mean, even these, like, can you just imagine someone completely uh doing a shot for shot recreation of this movie but as a comic book that was clearly supposed to be made in like the 1930s for sure and I mean, again just so much of what they do you really look at the time and earlier film it's like they're not overly crazy film techniques but it's just no. using the solid techniques well and I th that's so much of what's been lost is like people try to make stuff flashy and it's not needed. I mean, yeah. something as simple as, you know, like those silhouette shots, you know, making sure that you like you're watching the, the consequences of the previous screen play out in the background. Like it's perfect. Oh, that camera motion. But yeah, because sometimes a lot of directors, they tend to play things up and do a lot more crazy stuff with their effects and be a little bit overly stylish. And they forget that, dude, just let the material breathe. Like, mm -hmm. it is, in fact, like a man riding a horse jumping onto a truck for real. Like, right. just let that be as exciting as that it is. You don't have to do anything crazy with it. All you have to do is just run with it you know like just exactly be honest with it when you're honest with the uh, uh the action and when you're practical with the action the audience responds to it now this upcoming shot where he's side by side with the truck and he leaps onto it this shot when he leaps on which is totally real uh but there was a painting a concept painting of that shot and that pretty much established the entire tone of this movie i think uh I, I think it was either spielberg or lucas and saw that and he's like that's great let's can we build an entire movie around that and build an entire sequence around that uh and holy shit does it make for a great sequence okay so i mentioned before and that there it is you know yep. it had wilhelm to show scream up. wilhelm scream everyone it's classic 
But uh, I, I talked about how I didn't really grow up with this, so I'd seen parodies and callbacks to this film before I'd even seen it. Uh, and of course, like even the uh, the, the live-action show, the, they showed entire sequences that I'd never seen before on a movie. I just uh, so I wasn't really surprised when I saw it here. The one thing that I was not aware of was this truck sequence. This is the one sequence in this movie when I sat down and watched it for the first time, I got to just sit back and enjoy it. Not knowing what was going to happen and not knowing any of the beats and not knowing any of the images. I just got to be, <laughs> for a moment, a real film goer. And holy shit, is this sequence amazing. Is this the point where they go over? Nope. <laughs> yeah, this is the one where they're about to go over. Oh, wait. I love this. Just <laughs> the look on his face and the smile. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's he's having so much fun because it's like <laughs> it's finally a moment where he gets to dish back a bit of the, the shit that's been being thrown at him for so long. <laughs> Whoa! That looks so fake, but it looks so cool. <laughs> but, and you know, I mean, guys... that's the whole thing. I mean, the willing suspension of disbelief, it's like they yep. they keep it in that realm where it's like, yeah, like, this is, it looks fake, but this is not out of the realm of reality, so I can suspend that disbelief and just oh, yeah. enjoy the moment. The, the and, best th and that's what that... a lot of films miss, is like they go so over the top and like so ridiculous that's like, I can't suspend that disbelief anymore. Well, see, the only thing that it, that a film needs to do is not establish what reality is to us. Instead, it just needs to define and adhere to the rules of its own reality. Exactly. And now we have the great uh, percussion and tr and brass build of John Williams. I and love this beat. And I love, you know, the the detail with, you know, he got shot in the arm and the blood is splattered on the windshield. Yep, yeah. And it's just like, oh shit, what's going to happen now? But the, the, the drums and the, the, the brass that are building faster and faster, it's mm -hmm. a little Jaws, isn't it? I love the hat, too. I'm 90% I'm sure they just had a string attached to the cap, and on a cue they just <laughs> pulled it back. <laughs> Just to make it even more, they punch him in the bullet hole. Uh-huh. Oh. Throw him through the window. Oh, no. He's about to fall down. <laughs> and, the, oh, the noise. Just the yes. sound design there is so good. And now here's where the, the music really builds. Where he starts to speed up. And then we go... Bum, 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 yes. And just before he can make contact, this. Oh, now this is probably one of the greatest and most famous stunts ever. Oh, yeah. I mean. Look closely, though. Can you see a trench there? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's how they were able to do that and get under the thing. Because apparently 
he was a little too close to the uh, the the bottom of that truck, so they actually had to build a trench to yeah. fit him under there. But that's that's uh, that's stagecoach right there, man. That's that's Spielberg's little homage to John Ford. Yeah, that wonderful bit from Stagecoach, uh, which in fact came all the way full circle when. If you have ever seen Young Indiana Jones, he actually, in Young Indy, wound up on a John Ford film set and wound up being the stuntman who performed said <laughs> stunt. And so it became a full circle thing, which I love. That's nice. I, I've seen the show, but I did not, I haven't seen all of it and I had not seen that part, but that's great. I've seen a good chunk of it. I need to sit. I really should sit down and watch young Indiana Jones uh, Chronicles. It was good. I enjoyed it. Oh, back it was in the so day. wonderful. And then we have the crescendo of the music where it's the big theme. But again, it still keeps that one foot in uh, his vulnerability. Cause he still got shot. <laughs> yeah. That, that's something I really do enjoy about, you know, Indy as a hero. He's not one of these, like, invincible heroes. He gets, he takes his legs. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in, a, in very many ways, he uh, uh, action heroes like John McClane, or at least in the early days, was kind of his spawn in that, where you saw action heroes that were just kind of your semi-run-of-the-mill guys who were just happened to be way in over their head. But they overcome, and that makes them even more badass. Oh, man, why are you wasting a good melon? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I love that cut. Like, it's not like a fade or anything, but the the cheers go mm -hmm. straight into the singing. Hard cut. No, no fades, no, nothing fancy like that. I also imagine that was uh, kind of partially inspired by uh, David Lean, who, when uh, when Lawrence does the uh, the the famous match match cut with the uh, the match and the uh, 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 and it, he blows it out and it turns into the sun, uh -huh. just a cut, no dissolve, no nothing. Um, I imagine that's kind of what drove him to do that one. I can see that. Yeah, a little bit. I hope if they if they really wind up doing this indie five business, I kind of hope they do bring back Sala back as well. It'd be nice yeah. to see him again. He was him he was definitely uh, the the highlight of of supporting actors they had in these franchises. Yep, I love that. <laughs> this is for your children, and this is for you. And of course, the perfect timing of the the the, the horn. Mm -hmm. where he's still trying to process it and this and he... right here <laughs> love him okay now this is one of my favorite romantic uh, scenes in just about any major film franchise. Like, yeah, there's always this little bit where we have like a really uh, cute scene with uh, the heroic lead and the, uh, the, 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 the female lead. 
But this is just one of my favorites. It it really is a, a solid, solid little scene. I love this. Ow! 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 <laughs> Ow! Ow! Did you say something? <laughs> Ow. He is he is cut up, man. Oh, and then there's, yeah. <laughs> That's probably one of my main mantras of life. It's not the ears, it's the mileage. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's such a classic one-liner that, you know, everyone has cribbed at some point. <laughs> and this is a really great old-timer joke. <laughs> the elbow. <laughs> right. <laughs> Because for those of you who don't really quite understand, uh, it's for all those uh, old troops from World War One and World War Two, who had their elbows just destroyed in the war from both the training and the combat. Like, they would always be like, where doesn't it hurt? Here. <laughs> <laughs> That's always been their little joke. And, of course, the Harrison Ford charm of just, like, pointing to places where... She can make it feel better. <laughs> and, and the, so smooth. The, the, right, but at the hesitation, even there at the end, like, so he's adorable. hesitant to, 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 pull, to pull the move, but he still does it. <laughs> yep. And he falls asleep right on it. <laughs> nope. That's okay. That's okay. Oh, and this shot. Yeah. And again, the, the sound design just... Yeah. Ugh. Because the, it's the mystery that's built around this thing. And I really love the I, the whole thing that the, uh, the arc burnt away the Nazi symbol. Mm -hmm. Almost as if in protest. Yeah, it's like the it's it's a symbol that is an an antithesis to what it is, and it's like, nope, we're not having that. Exactly. I love that. You watch your mouth, Indy. <laughs> okay, now these shots, I swear, feel like a comic book. More so than just about anything else. Like, look at those shots, man. Like, with the guns and the MP40s, and they're all holding their hands up. So good. Oh, snap. They got the arc. But yeah, these shots were with the blocking and the movement and the aggressiveness where the, uh, the, 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 the MP forties come in at an angle uh, over the top of the shot and you see the actors reacting to them. It's just so that it feels so much like a comic book and I love it. Yeah. I mean, like the eyes, the peep, it's the guns and, Oh, it's brilliant. 
You know what I really got to admire now that I think about it? Spielberg is back on the water after Jaws. <laughs> <laughs> you would you would think he would never ever want to do another movie where he's got a camera on a boat, but here we are. I what I'm guessing is like this is safely at port on dock and they're right. just facing off into the distance to make it look like they're way out at sea. But yeah, I could even if I even after coming out of the trauma of directing a movie like Jaws and the things that he went through on that movie, you'd think he'd never in a million years would ever want to get back on a boat like this. And yet he has done much on boat since then, so not not too much though. He's always eh. limited himself, but yeah, but I mean, but enough. I mean, yeah. How many movies have a whole lot of boats anyway? That's true. Uh, although uh, you know who, uh, what, um, someone who talked to Spielberg about shooting on the water quite a bit uh, was Christopher Nolan when he was doing uh, Dunkirk. Ah, he he consulted Spielberg and a lot of people who worked on Jaws and other pictures on the water on the logistics and difficulties and how to get around them while shooting on actual water. Yeah. Cause one technique that you really have to embrace and use because of the, the moving tide is you have to have like a lot of handheld action. Mm. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you can kind of see that one uh, on that on shots like this when he's getting up onto the boat. You know, for the longest time, I actually kind of got fooled because it was the weird light and the, the tall lapels or the, the tall hood guard. Uh -huh. I always thought that the U-boat captain was Harrison Ford. <laughs> <laughs> like it always, I think the first time it fooled me, I'm like, how the hell did he get on that boat so quick? Oh, and if you noticed, as they were coming in, it was just a shot ago. You, real quick and you'll blink and you'll miss it. But Harrison Ford was continuously holding on to that pipe. The, the 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 or the yeah. the, uh, uh, the periscope, which too. makes like, just like no like like that like it never would have submerged like that that's that's one of those little like really, yeah that's the one like minor plot hole of the movie, but there is a deleted scene where you actually see him struggling, mm. uh, apparently, and when you know about that scene, it makes a little bit more sense, but. Yeah, it, but it, again, it's one of those things where you, it's so fast, and the, again, the pacing is so well done. They don't really oh, gosh, on it right too there, just that that wonderful, like almost comedic pullback moment. Yeah. Because <laughs> with the shadows and everything, now this is also something else that I really love that it kind of subverts, is that you know usually you have the action hero just pull the the, the guy away, and take his uniform, and immediately it fit, it's completely right. form yeah. fitting. Not the case here. It actually doesn't fit. <laughs> like I'm so At glad all. that there. I'm so glad that there. There's like details like that. That's an imposing shot, actually. Oh yeah. And kick. <laughs> Love the hat. How it just flies up and he catches mm -hmm. it.
Yeah, I do love that whole little bit where he's like, I'm uncomfortable with this Jewish, this Jewish artifact. They are Nazis. <laughs> Another really great reveal with him in costume. Mm-hmm. I mean, th they handle the reveals so well throughout this entire film. Yep. And the interaction where he just bumps him. <laughs> like, and, uh, just and the slightest of smirks. <laughs> yep. Just looks back with such a wonderful little shit-eating look. And hey, recognize this location? Yeah. Yeah, I this do. Is, <laughs> this is the exact same location as a little in-joke. Same spot where Obi-Wan and, and Luke Skywalker yep. met for the first time. So like, fact, I I, in... like, I never really bothered to try and piece it together, but as soon as you mention something, you're like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> it's a little, just a little in-joke for uh, Lucas and uh, Spielberg. Why are you wearing a black leather jacket out there? This is Tunisia, dude. I mean, some people are, are very attached to their motifs. <laughs> but yeah, this is the shot that I was talking about, where you see the rock that they're passing. That's the same rock that uh, Alec Guinness sat on when he was... T mm -hmm. I haven't heard that name in a long time long time now you talked about uh, professionalism among even like the heat and the sweat and the flies mm -hmm. oh here it oh, is yeah. oh yeah <laughs> it, no a lot of so like apparently they keep saying like uh, that oh he ate a fly like as it rolled <laughs> Um, but, uh, no, apparently like the actor who, who played Balak is like, yeah, no, it's, it flew away, but around the time he said, per, uh, by even me. So apparently he did not act, it did not actually go into his mouth, mm. but, uh, I love the fact that Spielberg w looked at that shot, saw that and decided, you know what? I'm going to keep that in there for a little laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Happy accident is what we call it. It's a little happy accident. <laughs> this cat totally calls his bluff. This is history oh. and I love how even he can't succumb to his own personal uh, weakness to see the uh, the wonders mm -hmm. of the greatest archaeological ar archaeological find of his career well not necessarily see the wonders but just not to have it destroyed. yeah he wants he wants that glory. And I do and love again, the, and, the... And, and again, the storms, the, yep. the sounds, the light, it's, it's perfect. Yep. 
So you know what's so you know how this whole sequence gets kind of crazy, trippy, and fun. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever uh, heard of uh, Yodorovsky's Dune? Yeah. So, uh, for those of you who don't know, apparently there was a Chilean filmmaker who wanted to make Dune back in the mid seventies, and he made like he got he he got all the players together. He got Salvador Dali, he got Orson Welles, he got Pink Floyd, Mick Jagger, all these. I mean, he got H.R. Giger before Giger was even known, uh, and it just kind of imploded and it never got made, sadly, but. One of the things that I found in the documentary about the whole making of is that there was a whole sequence in this movie that this movie pays homage to. Huh. It's crazy. Like a movie that never got made wound up inspiring so many others uh, because you see it in a lot of other stuff. Um, But uh, I'm I'm probably going to have to do like a whole podcast on that because... Yodorowsky's Dune fascinates me to no end. <laughs> well, I mean, projects like that are always very intriguing. Yes. Oh, I love that sound effect. Like, it's so Star Wars, but uh, it's just so much fun at the same time. Man, dude, like it's, it's the 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 humming buzz that just is permeating the background right here. Yep, like it, it's it's so amazing when the art of film with music, sound design, score, uh, and image when they all come together in a way that will sear themselves onto audiences' minds forever. Oh. Hey, cats, that's Ghostbusters before Ghostbusters. <laughs> <All right. laughs> yeah, it kind of does in a weird way. Like it's those animated uh-huh. kind of ghosts that you saw in the 80s. Pretty sure that Ivan Rettman was looking at that and like, I'm going to do that, but I'm going to make a whole movie about it. And then we got... The angel transforming into death. (laughs) And then we've got some of the best movie deaths of all time. (laughs) Oh my god. Oh, with the eyes and everything. Oh, there it is, the melting face. Uh, oh, Jesus. So I said, some of the best villain deaths are the, the deaths of indie villains. Right? Like, holy shit. I, I think after that movie came out, every movie wanted to have, like, a melting face effect. Yeah. Because they saw that and, like, that is the coolest and craziest thing I've ever seen. He was right. It was a conduit to God, just not in the sense he thought. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And he forgets that this is probably Old Testament God. Right. God with a wrath. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I'm sure wrathful God does not take kindly to Nazis. <laughs> oh, shit. I love... Um, but uh, apparently, like, the deaths were so over the top, it actually got a, an R rating at first. Hmm. Um, but the way they got around it weirdly... Well, it was uh, uh, Belloc's death, whose head exploded. Mm. Um, so that fire so, filter? Yeah, they just put a fire filter over it, and somehow that got it the PG rating. Isn't that friggin' wild, man? The 80s were weird. <laughs> oh, yeah. Lovely B footage. Mm-hmm. So where are we going to put the Ark? Well, this is a instrument of power and mystery beyond that of mortal men. What are we going to do with it? We're sending it to top men. <laughs> no, he's not. It's not. <laughs> I love that pipe. Yep. Just... That's such a great line. Top men. I actually do love the fact that it did wind up in Area 51. Like, that was <laughs> that was actually kind of a cool little thing. that You're like, okay, that makes a little too much sense. Hmm. <laughs> And just like a gentleman. I love I love the costumes here. It's so sharp. Right? And I love the composition. That is so like old Hollywood. That feels almost uh uh Frank Capra in a way. And then speaking of uh, you know, older film homages, the fact that uh Spielberg made his uh the last shot of the movie as an homage to one of the final shots of Citizen Kane were the endless, endless vast of, uh, of crates never to be seen or opened and to collect dust forever in a warehouse. <laughs> and that wraps probably one of the greatest movies or the, probably one of the most entertaining movies ever made. Oh, I mean, sure. it's, it's, you know, here we are, 40 years later, and it completely oh, stands it stands the test of time. Associate to Mr. Spielberg, Kathleen Kennedy. Boy, did she get an upgrade. A lot this, of these people. This is not the time for that conversation. <laughs> um, but you Maybe know who after we're done recording, we can... Uh... Yeah. Uh, but you know who else worked on this movie uh, or got his start on the movie that is actually kind of a big name now? Michael Bay. Mm. He act okay, so weird story. He actually got his uh, start in the film business working as a filer for the storyboards of this movie. Interesting. And what's really funny is apparently years later he actually revealed that he said, uh, looking at the storyboards back then, he said this movie was going to be an absolute flop and a failure. <laughs> <laughs> How wrong was he? Right? Like, 
Sorry. And I think it was I think it was when he got proved wrong. He's like, you know what? This uh this whole movie thing might be for me. <laughs> Too bad it wasn't his career was not for me at all. Right. <laughs> like uh it's it, I've gone on the record many times that uh Pearl Harbor is probably one of my most hated films. Oh look, Joe Johnston, art director of visual effects. Uh, I don't remember if it's this one or one of the other films. I had to look it up because it's Ralph not McQuarrie. the same person. But uh, one of the second unit directors on one of the indie films, you see the name and you you think, <gasps> but it's not yeah. the same person because it's Peter Jackson. There's a Peter oh, Jackson, yeah. but it's not That's the right. Peter Jackson. Yep. And that, that always, saw... I was like, ah, okay. <laughs> we also saw Ralph McQuarrie return as an illustrator. Uh um, you know who else did uh, a lot of um, uh, illustrations for the movie? Uh, comic book artist Jim Legend, really, uh, Jim Steranko. He oh, did yeah. some really fantastic uh, uh, artwork for the, the, this film. And it uh, seriously, just for those of you looking or listening back at home, uh, just Google Raiders of the Lost Ark, Jim Steranko. He. Uh, uh, he, his artwork is amazing, and you'll probably even recognize it when you actually see it. Um, but yeah, it's it's amazing how well this movie's aged, and and all these this this movie is is thirty no it's uh, uh let's see forty forty years old this year yeah forty years old and it it it's just keeps getting better and better the more I watch it. He couldn't even be a first Nazi. He had to be the second Nazi. <laughs> Monkey man. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, like I still remember, like I could still feel the magic and the pixie dust in the air when, cause I actually got to see this in a movie theater, uh, in a re-release. There was a, uh, it was something that I didn't f discover until I was well into my college years. Sadly, I wasn't able to go to as many screenings as I wanted to. But there was this uh, independent uh, theater, not a cinema, a theater, uh, where they did stage productions in Aurora, uh, Illinois, where, near where I grew up. Mm -hmm. uh, and they would occasionally on every, uh, every Friday or something like that, they would have a, uh, 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 a screening of a classic film. One of them happened to be Raiders. So I decided to go and dress up as indiana jones and go watch the movie in like a big front row seat where i could just have my fists on my cheeks leaning oh, yeah. in like i was watching a saturday morning serial like back in the day uh that... and turns turns out there were actually there was one other indie cosplayer and like three other guys with hats <laughs> <laughs> um i mean and seeing that, it... that kind of stuff is always fun oh yeah and it was a really wonderful theater like it was like this beautiful opaque kind of romantic interior of a theater uh and i remember also that the uh the sound kind of had this weird echo because it was such a a big stadium kind of seating theater like there was a, a second balcony and everything i remember when the movie st first started to roll uh it had this weird echo reverberation thing that was doing it was natural mm -hmm. like and i first got annoyed as it but as the movie went on, it actually made the movie even better because I really felt like I was in a stadium kind of watching this. It, w it was a weird effect, but I tuned in and it, it was just a magical ride to, to sit through in a big 
big theater and a big screen and have people, you know, applauding when Indy shot the guy with the sword and Oh yeah. So good. I mean so for good. for movies that you love, if the, if there's a movie, you know, that you really love, I always suggest people catch it in theaters. Um I'm fortunate uh about forty to forty five minutes north of me is Ann Arbor. It's a yes. pretty quick shot. And and I lived even closer, uh uh some years back, uh probably about ten minutes closer. And there is an excellent, you know, uh, art theater up there and also a secondary theater. And the secondary theater will do, like, midnight showings of, like, classic films and cult films. And, you know, I'll never forget, that's the first time I ever got to see Pulp Fiction in theaters. And the sound design is so different. Like, if you don't have a full, like, surround sound in your home... Yep. Hearing or you know have watched it with like you know headphones on, hearing yep. that sound design in the theater, and like how hard that gun hits the table, yeah, or how much earlier the conversation in the car starts, like it's it's a vastly different feel and yeah, complete. I mean, so seeing movies in theaters like that changes your perspective, and you know, gorgeous theaters, the the main the main theater at uh, the main art theater is a beautiful old, you know, like theater hall with the balcony and and all that. And it's great because they can do stage shows and stuff there. I mean, I've seen authors speak there, but they'll also bring the screen down and part the curtain just enough to cover the screen and hold, hold films there. Uh, Last movie, I actually think I, I, that I saw on that screen, because they do have a second smaller screen there. Uh, or at least the one that really left an impression. I saw the wind rises there. Oh. It, it was just beautiful. Oh, man. You know, I remember when they would do a, a, a re-release. They, they did, actually did a run of uh, re-releases in a um, the cinema uh, just south of uh, uh, Kentucky. It's on the Cincinnati-Kentucky border. They had mm-hmm. a whole bunch of shows. They, uh, we went to go see uh, 2001. Uh, I actually got to see Lawrence of Arabia on the big screen, which was phenomenal. But we also saw that there was a bunch of Studio Ghibli films uh, that were being released. Sadly, we just did not have the time to go uh, see yeah. them. Although I really, really would have loved to see something like Princess Mononoke on a big screen. Well, with uh, with where you are now, have you been out to Yellow Springs? I'm I I I was able to I was going to be going out that direction. Uh, unfortunately, the people that I went up there had to to cancel. It, it was just mm. one of those things that kind of come up. But um, yes, but, but please go on. Oh yeah, because I mean, all through my college days, I mean, you know, I was down there in Dayton uh, for university, and Yellow Springs has this amazing little uh, art theater that is always showing strange stuff. And so, like, we would be out there all the time to catch movies. And, I mean, I caught such interesting gems there as, like, the Triplets of Belleville, and um, I, I can't even remember everything at the time, but it was just so much fun. That makes so much sense, because every time I've gone to Yellow Springs, there's always just been a big old party going on outdoors. Like, there's always vendors, there's always a big band, or something or rather going on. Every weekend that I've gone up there, there's always been something that we just kind of stumble upon. Um, I don't know if that's the case much now anymore, though. It's been a while, and considering where we are. Well, I know uh, you're a comic fan. Yes. I had one of the weirdest comic book moments of my life in a little bookstore that was, like, right by the theater. Oh, do tell. 
So um, this is at the time of the heyday of Yonan Vasquez. And I was in there looking for, you know, Johnny the Homicidal Maniac comics. Ah, And yes. because the guy tried to peg me for, like, you know, like pigeonhole me because of that, he's like, well, if you like that, and he, you know, he pulls out this, like, weirdo book. It's like, if you like that kind of dark humor, it's like, you got to check this out. There's, there's like, singing aborted fetuses in it. And I'm just like... You okay. know, I don't know where you're going here, but the, <laughs> you you have misread your audience. Like, like I I like the social commentary from these books. I'm not here for like weirdo gore fest. What the hell? Oh my god! You get some strange people in Yellow Springs. Although, uh, oh, hopefully yeah. one of the one of these days, I really kind of want to run into Dave Chappelle and say hi. Interestingly enough. Um, I never said hi to him, but he walked right by me. Oh, right on. Cause, yeah. Well, cause I, uh, for, uh, cause I went to college there for a while. I worked at the Beaver Creek mall. Right on. And I was working at like the calendar kiosk in the middle of the mall, uh, for like a winter season. And one day I'm just sitting there. It's just like, they're, Is that Dave they're coming right by me. <laughs> also weirdly interesting while working at the Sears at that mall. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with wrestling at all, but Al Snow bought a roaster from me. Yoke way. That's awesome. Uh-huh. I was just like, like came in with this tricked out jacket. It was nuts. Um, we, we should probably get back to discussing the film. <laughs> yeah. The thing about Raiders is, um, but yeah, no, like I guess we, we just have, we're just two weird nerds who have like a lot of stories to share. Don't we? <laughs> yeah, we, we really do. Yeah. But uh, yeah, hopefully you guys enjoyed the show. Uh, we'll be back fairly soon with uh, with another colleague of mine from uh, 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 college who personally loved the sequel, Temple of Doom. Because I got to say it right now, and please don't like not tune in for the next episode because I still want to watch it again and try to get a refresh. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is actually my least favorite out of all the four released believe it or not oh i will fight you on that i mean it's my least favorite of the original three but my gosh it is not anywhere near oh 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 no no no, no challenge no. accepted <laughs> i will fight you on that all day challenge accepted but we'll see you again on that uh on that note folks uh next week um, I'm actually bringing in an old friend of mine, uh, and we're going to be checking out the sequel to John Wick, Chapter 2. So stay tuned, and we'll see you then. Um, this has been an episode of Comtrack where you'll never have to watch a movie alone again. I've been Tim. I've been Sean. And you have been a great audience. Peace. Peace.